0: Someone steps forward. car grows quiet. In the moment, someone opens their mouth to speak. On this July fourth weekend, when we celebrate the independence of our nation, I'm reminded of a, of a tall, lanky man who who stepped onto a battlefield turned graveyard. It was November day, but that field had turned from a battlefield into a graveyard some four months earlier, July 1st through 3rd, with victory on the 4th. The man's purpose that day was to honor the brave soldiers who had fought and died to continue protecting the unity of this nation. His words would be regarded as one of the the finest speeches in American history. It was also one of the shortest. Maybe that helped. Abraham Lincoln stepped forward. The crowd grew quiet. He clutched his manuscript in his hands and he said, Four score and seven years ago our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. He goes on for a bit and then finishes with this sentiment. He says, it is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion." That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Now, as Abraham Lincoln, November 19th, 1863, someone steps forward, a hush falls over the crowd, and And we ask, what are they going to say? What will they say? Will it matter? Will it change anything? Today, we continue our series, Represent, where we look at how the early church that we find described in the book of Acts, how they represented Jesus to their communities. We're looking at how they did that, and then we're applying it to how we can do it here in our own communities. And as you read through this account of the early church in the book of Acts, you're kind of looking at the whole thing every week, looking at it as a big picture thing. Here's what you'll find. There is example after example after example of someone stepping forward, the crowd growing quiet with anticipation, that person opening their mouth and with their words disrupting and changing the way things had seemingly always been. Today, this morning on July 3rd, we are going to be talking about the power of speaking up and how each of us are exactly the people God has placed right where we are for the purpose of speaking up in our own unique ways. We are the exact people God has placed right here where we are to represent Jesus well to our communities. So as we think about this, and Sean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move this because I keep getting distracted by it. <laughs> I'm going to start singing or something. <laughs> you don't want that. Um, so as you think about this, uh, as you think about this and look at this and how they did it in the book of Acts, it happens over and over again. It starts with Peter right? It starts with Peter. At the very beginning of the church, there's this loud noise, people gather, everybody's around, and Peter steps forward and begins to teach about how all of Jewish history points to this one man named Jesus. He's come, he's come back to life after being crucified on a cross, and with those words, 3,000 people walk down and get baptized and choose to follow Jesus. The church starts with that stepping forward. A few chapters later, there's another man named Stephen, and he has the longest speech in the book of Acts, and and with exquisite, incredible, amazing detail and precision, he traces that same history that Peter was talking about with all of the guiding purpose, with even more detail, showing just how much Jesus is the Messiah. Except this time, the crowd doesn't step forward and say they want to follow Jesus. No, they they take off their coats, lay him at the feet of a man named Saul, and pick up some rocks. Stephen's last words, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. And this was a turning point. This was like a change. This was a moment in the sand where everything was different because at that point, everything had been happening in Jerusalem. They'd been following Jesus, talking about Jesus, convincing people to follow Jesus in Jerusalem. But at that point, persecution began. Christians began to be hated for what they were believing, and, and so people died for their faith. People were persecuted for their faith, and so there was a fleeing that happened. Believers in Jesus fled there to go elsewhere, and with them, they took the message of Jesus. All the action had been in Jerusalem, but now the message of Jesus, because of that moment, started to spread. Like when Philip, a follower of Jesus, found himself walking next to a carriage, with a man who is described in the Bible as an Ethiopian eunuch, which basically means he probably like, worked in the king's court. He was kind of high up in that way. And he's, he's riding along in this carriage, and uh, uh, Philip is walking next to him, and he sees that this guy's reading the, the Hebrew scriptures, the, the Old Testament, essentially. He's reading these things, and, and Philip asks him, Hey, do you know what you're reading? He's like, How can I? This is crazy. Unless someone explains it to me, how can I know? So he invites Philip up into the carriage to explain it to him. And so Philip steps forward and for an audience of one, talks about how this message points all the way to Jesus. And what's incredible about this story is that there is a very large group of Christians and a very large church community in Ethiopia to this day that traces their heritage back to that one conversation. There are dozens of these moments in the book of Acts. It just happens over and over again. Here's what's remarkable about them. They're all unique. They're not following the same script. Each one of them is a little bit different in how they they talk about it, but their uniqueness is actually what they most have in common. In each of these speeches and discussions, the speaker is speaking the listener's language. I'm curious, how, how many of you uh, know a second or a third language? Raise your hand if you know another language. A couple of you know a different language, yes? Maybe? All right, some of you are a little embarrassed. It's okay, you can, you can, you can raise your hand. Uh, for me, I know just enough German to be dangerous, and just enough Spanish to make a really big fool of myself. Uh, so... <laughs> So it reminded us, I think about this, of so like eight or nine years ago, we, we did our first mission trip as a church out of this country. It was to Honduras. Uh, and so we've actually been doing it every year since then. We've taken a group of people to Honduras except like one year. Uh, we've gone down there year after year, and, and it's awesome. We work with this, this group of uh, mission called Mission Lazarus. They do incredible work. We actually are sending another group in just a couple of weeks here down to Honduras. It, it's it's going to be fantastic. They do really good work down there. But when I went for the for the first time, we, we were there, and, uh, and I had a year and a half of high school Spanish in me, and that was great. <laughs> um, it challenged my brain, but here's what I found. Like, one of the things that we did while we were down there is do this little VBS for some kids. And... Uh, so you're trying to talk about Jesus and kind of tell these fun stories to these kids. They probably know them already, but you're trying to explain it to them a little bit just for some fun. And, and I have this limited vocabulary. And what I love about language is that it doesn't just have to be spoken. You can do just crazy. I got really good at caricatures, not caricatures. Uh, what is the word? Did somebody help. Charades. Gestures, charades, charades, that's it. <laughs> I got really good at charades that week. And it was awesome. It was fun. But sometimes you have to speak their language whether through their words or acting it out or whatever. And it's not always pretty, but it's what you have to do. Sometimes it's an actual foreign language. Other times, it's not quite that. It's not the language that you need to speak. What I'm talking about happens when when you speak the language, but you don't really speak their language. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, for example, when uh, Eden Jewel, you saw her on the, in, the announcements video before. We hired her just a little bit ago to be our communication director. And uh, she walked into my office, and she started talking about the website and, like, what we have to do to change some things up on the website. And I think I covered it up pretty well. But, guys, I, that was one of those moments where I felt really old. <laughs> um... She knows what she's talking about. She's in, and, and I have to tell you, like 10 years ago, 12 years, I don't remember how long, 10 years ago, I like redesigned our website for the church. So like I knew it at one point. I, like I started the Facebook page. Those things have changed so dramatically since I had my hands in them that I was sitting there talking and like I was just trying to keep up. And here she is, she's speaking the same language I speak, but she's speaking a different language. Have you been there? Yes? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. That's, it's not a foreign language, but it's kind of like a foreign language. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. What, that's what I'm talking about when I say speak their language, even if you already speak their language. It's, it's like when your kids maybe play Minecraft. You have to sometimes speak Minecraft to them. It's like when your, your teenagers are in sports or different activities, you have to, you have to speak basketball or football or, or theater to them or, or TikTok. I think that's one. Um, I'm not on that one. That's the one I'm not on, so grateful for that. Um, or, or maybe you're, you're at your office, right, and you have co-workers. You have to speak the language of the office. You have shared experiences, so you, you share that language with each other. Sometimes you know it. Sometimes you have to learn it. There is a remarkable example of this exact thing in the book of Acts. It's in Acts chapter 17, and, and I want to set the scene for you. It was a strange place. It was different than anywhere that he had ever found himself speaking before. Everyone seemed to to stand around and just talk about all the latest ideas. Smart undersells it. Like these people that lived here and participated in the society here would run laps around us today in their ability to articulate an argument. It was just what you did. Like this was what their fun was. Their fun was to rehearse an argument with each other to confirm your own philosophical ideas as right. This is what they did for fun. I know it sounds weird, but it's true. It's what they did. And in this place, words. Words were of consequence. They mattered a ton. More than the spears and the swords of battle, words were everything. This, this was the land of Plato and Socrates. Socrates. This is where ideas went to battle and only the best of the best rose to the top. Yet at the same time, this is also the place where Zeus ruled. This is the home of the Greek pantheon, the place with with more gods than you could count in your hands and your feet five times over. The city itself was named after their goddess Athena, the city protectress, goddess of war, handicraft, and practical reason. This was Athens, Athens, Greece. And it was almost by accident that Paul was walking these streets. He had recently gotten into a bunch of trouble in several other cities, multiple times over. He'd been imprisoned. He'd been stoned. He'd been mobbed. And in this particular case, they were afraid. The other believers in the area were afraid for Paul's life. So they say, Paul, we are getting you out of here. And so they like race him out of there and they send him toward Athens. He finds himself in Athens. But here's the thing about Paul dude can't keep his mouth shut. (laughs) He can't stop talking. He just feels like he has to keep talking, right? So immediately he shows up in the synagogue where the Jewish believers, the the people who would follow the Old Testament, uh, they were there, and they were talking, and he'd go in there, and he'd try to convince them about Jesus. And this is just his normal routine. He shows up in the synagogue, does this whole thing, and that's like the normal routine for him. But then he, he leaves. Something happens. And whether it's by Paul's own knack for just wandering the streets and find himself in an interesting position or it's God leading him or a combination of both, but he finds himself here. He finds himself on this hill. It's called Mars Hill in Athens. And so here he is, right? This is why this is significant. This was the spot. This was the place where there was a gathering of all the best thinkers in towns. This is where they went to rehearse their philosophical arguments, to have the conversations. And this is what happens next. Paul starts debating them. <laughs> like, these guys are the best of the best. And he's like, I'm going I'm to get in there. I'm going to start rubbing shoulders and have a debate about what's true and what's right. It, it says this. It says, he also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, What's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others say, said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. It's a great start. <laughs> he started out great, right? You call him a babbler. He's got strange ideas. What's this stuff he's talking about? Way to go, Paul. How do you talk to somebody about Jesus when those people already think they know it all? It's like you're speaking a foreign language, right? People who are utterly convinced of their own ideas and they're so hard to convince of a different one. Have you ever talked to someone like that? How many of you are like that? (laughs) Where I've got my ideas, I know I'm right. And to have a conversation maybe can get a little difficult sometimes. Paul has the conversation and he does it masterfully. But to understand how he does it masterfully, we need some context. The Bible says that Paul was speaking and talking with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Those are some weird words, right? I've maybe never heard of him, but but they're actually more familiar than we might realize. Epicurean philosophers taught that the gods or a god, if they exist at all, they're, they're really just far off. They don't really care about us, They don't really care about what we're doing or any of that kind of stuff. So so they would say, here's what you do. You just do what makes you happy, right? Epicurean philosophers, this is the definition of an Epicurean. It's a person devoted to sensual enjoyment, especially that derived from fine food and drink. It's the whole, uh, you know what, life's hard, just treat yourself, Just treat yourself. It's the do what makes you happy sort of philosophy. It's actually, if we're honest, kind of American, right? Just do whatever makes you happy. We, We hear that a lot in America. I don't know if it's American, but a lot of Americans subscribe to that philosophy. The Stoic philosophers, they were different. They were, let's call them Stoic, or at least they appeared to be Stoic. Stoic philosophers argued that utilizing reason and logic, no matter your circumstances, that was the path toward a satisfying life. Add to that that this is the place where there's Plato, right? Not Play-Doh like kids play with, but Plato, the philosopher. And he's the one who wrote about Socrates. If you've ever read or studied any philosophy or heard it at all, you've probably or possibly heard the phrase, in philosophy there's Plato and everything else is commentary. He's the guy. He's the person. He was a big deal. And again, all of that with the backdrop that there are God after God after God, there's shrine after shrine after shrine all throughout this city. This is the context that Paul walks into. See what happens next. It says, Then they they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. I think think that's funny that that's in there. Um, But that's what happens, right? He gets brought before the council. And then there's the moment. And you can imagine it. All these big thinkers, smart guys, all the people that know all the things. And Paul's there in front of the council. And it says he... Steps forward, and he says, Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he's Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far away from any of us, for in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day of judgment. The world for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. I know that was a long set of scripture. And there's a lot in there. But you guys, this, this was and is a master class, a master course. Paul is incredible in what he says here. He first talks about how, uh, about how they're philosophical, right? He realizes that even though they're philosophical, they're also exceptionally religious. I mean, just, just, just look at all the shrines. And, and, and you know what? What's one more God? In fact, not one more God. There's that God over there that you say has no name. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about him. I'm going to tell you about that God. And, and, and that God, he's, he's bigger, more powerful, more godlike than any of those gods made by human hands or imagined by human minds. Then Paul says a few really interesting things. He says this this phrase, perhaps feel their way toward them or toward him. Remember, ideas and philosophy are like pop culture to these people. I I saw this uh, this Instagram post this week. This is it. It, You don't have it? Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Well, if you don't have it, then we're going to talk about it for a second. Um, This Instagram post Two seconds. I'm going to find this for you, and it's going to be great. Um, so he says this, the guy says this, for centuries, people have talked about self-examination, right? Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. St. Augustine wrote, oh God, let me know myself, let me know you. Ice Cube said, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> Thank you, I just really appreciate you going with me on that. <laughs> Here's the thing, This is what you referenced. It was was pop culture, right? It'd be like quoting the Seinfeld episode. But Paul, he says this thing, this, this perhaps feel their way toward them. Nations would perhaps feel their way toward him. Paul was literally alluding to Plato. There's this thing that Plato writes. It's... The Allegory of the Cave in the Republic, if you want to read something really crazy, go knock yourself out. That'll be fun for you. Don't, I'm not saying it actually be fun, but go ahead and do that. But he's clearly showing them that he knows their philosophy. He knows their poets. Essentially, Paul is saying, you are all religious. You know none of this was an accident, but you worship the shadows of the real God. This is who that God is, and he this is who that God is, and he fulfills all the things your poets and philosophers talked about and theorized about. And by the way, he came in human form, the man named Jesus, who not only showed up and showed us the right way to live, but he also conquered that thing we all deal with: death. Paul uses their language. He appeals to their culture, he quotes their poets and philosophers. This is a master course in how to represent Jesus well when offered the opportunity. He has four things, four things we can do in our own life. The first one is this, look for and take the opportunity. Because here's the thing, like we have this hope and sometimes we just don't know how to talk about it. So, so look for that opportunity. There, there's one thing that Mike, Pastor Mike always used to say. He'd say, just talk about your weekend or ask them about their weekend. They say, you say, hey, how was your weekend? What'd you do? And they go through these things and then they'll just naturally ask you, what'd you do on your weekend? You say, oh, well, I had a cookout the other day and then, and then on Sunday we went to church and, and then we just kind of hung out. And then if they say, hey, I, I didn't know you go to church. That's cool, you go to church. What's that all about? You just talk about it. Well, yeah, we like going to church. It's, it's great. It, it opens a conversation. Look for and take those opportunities. This is what Paul does. He shows up and he starts debating. Number two, speak their language. Speak their language. Uh, it, it's, it's funny, right? Like the, the fact that when we talk to our kids, sometimes we have to jump into a different mindset. We t- I talk about Minecraft with my kids sometimes because it just helps. There's a common thing that we can, they're, we're both interested in for that five minutes. And it's wonderful. The third thing is point to Jesus. And the last thing is trust God with the results. It's not up to you. You just get to have the conversation. It wasn't up to Paul. He just got to have the conversation. So Paul does each of these things. What happens next? It's simple. It's not flashy. Thousands didn't have their lives changed, but God started something. It reads like this It says, When they heard Paul speak, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, We want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. I love this. In the Bible, it talks about names. Names. Individual people. Thousands of years later, we still have these names. These little mustard seeds. These individual people who chose to believe like the Ethiopian eunuch, and it changed everything. Like a woman in a world that rarely gave women rights, or a man named Dionysius, who, who became a leader in the Athenian church that emerged. Trust God with the results. It might not look big in the moment. It doesn't have to. Imagine what it would be like for Paul to show up here, right? If Paul walked in those doors and walked up on the stage here and he steps forward, crowd grows quiet, he opens his mouth, what's he say? What's he say to us? I mean, he might, if it's around July 4th, reference the Declaration of Independence if it were the weekend of the 4th, he might do that. Maybe he'd reference Abraham Lincoln because of a statue of him just across the street. The party he was part of was started just down the street over here. He might quote a Seinfeld episode. He might quote a Lizzo song. I don't know. Some of you know who that is. Most of you don't. <laughs> but that's just the point, right? Whatever the cultural language was, he would speak our language, you would use our language to tell us clearly how Jesus sets us free through the cross and the empty grave, that, that we can have hope that doesn't rely on broken people, that we can have hope because of Jesus. He, he answered the same questions that the Stoics and the Epicureans were asking. We still ask them today, like, how do you live right? Well, we follow Jesus. We follow the, the uh, logic of his love. How do you enjoy this life? Well, you take the gifts that God gives you and you enjoy them. You don't try to get as much of them as you can. You take the gifts God gives you and you enjoy them. But let me finish with this. We don't need Paul to show up here. God placed all of us here. Each and every one of us here. The message of Jesus is not for certain special people to share. It's for all of us to share. The audience doesn't matter. It could be one like the Ethiopian eunuch who has dramatic impact for years and years to come. It could be 3,000 like Peter. It doesn't really matter the size of the audience. God's going to do what God's going to do. Mustard seeds, remember? Our focus this year as a church is to represent Jesus well. All of us that have this gift of Jesus, we are all called, called to represent Jesus well to the people we interact with. When it comes to our words and sharing them, this is how we do it, right? We, we look for and take opportunities. If there's an opportunity there, we, we grab it. We want to talk about Jesus a little bit, great. If we want to talk about faith, hey, I went through this really hard time, and, and honestly, the only thing that pulled me through was my faith. That's a real statement for me. It probably is for you too. That's something you can say. We speak their language. You, you realize what you have in common. Like if you both like football, you talk about football for a little bit. If you both are, are into the, this one thing, if you have kids, there's a million shared languages you can have when you deal with the frustration of having kids and the wonders of having kids, right? Both. <laughs> You point to Jesus, because honestly, when we talk about all these amazing philosophies, they were talking about philosophies for thousands of years and asking these questions, but when you look at it and you see how Paul does it here, the answers to all these questions are all found in this place, in Jesus. So it's not weird. Like, this has been happening for thousands of years, pointing to Jesus with our struggles, with our deep questions, with the things that we need. It's right there. How does Jesus point... How can you point to Jesus with this struggle? Because that's where the answer is. And trust God with the results. It's not up to you. And gosh, that's a relief. You don't have to go around and convince everybody. You just get to have the discussion. And what God wants to do, God can have. You don't have to be weird about it. You don't have to be like, I'm going to convert this person. (laughs) Don't do that, please. Just have the conversation. It's their choice. And when they see your life and the way you represent Jesus well and how you live it, that's the most powerful thing that God will use. That's amazing. The pressure is off. You just live your life the best you can to follow Jesus. Represent Jesus well. We have uh, these these bracelets that we gave away a while ago. We're going to get some more of them in a little bit. They say RJW. Um, And for me, that's been a, a helpful thing. Uh, there's a, a couple people that I've talked to recently that they said like they, they had this on and people asked them a question about it and it was just a conversation starter. They just said, hey, I go to a church that we're trying to represent Jesus well and that's what I'm trying to do with my life. And it was just a cool conversation that started a faith conversation that hadn't started yet. It was the first time. Hmm. Paul. Dude could not keep his mouth shut. Because he knew a hope that he could not keep to himself. So, as we finish this morning, as I pray, there's two things I want to ask you to pray about. Number one, do you know that hope? And if you're wondering what that is, and you're like, yeah, I see he like, couldn't keep his mouth shut, but why? I don't get it. What's the, what's the big deal? Let's talk. Let's talk about what that hope is and what it looks like. Find me after the service, send me an email. That, that sounds awesome. But if you're wanting to know, I, I'm going to ask you to pray with me that you would open yourself up to asking the question because that's the first step. And the second thing is this, that we would have open eyes. That God would give us open eyes for those opportunities and we would just take them with the faith that God provides. If you want those things for your life, would you pray with me? Dear God, Thank you for all the ways that you love us. Today we are talking about how Paul could not stop talking about you. And there's this hope inside of him that he just could not stop sharing because it was so powerful for him and for those that he saw in his life. God, today, if, if, if there's someone here today that just doesn't know, like, what's that hope all about? I ask that you would help us ask those questions that the person and the people that, that feel like, hey, I'm not sure what this is all about, that they would open themselves up to those conversations and asking those questions and finding out for themselves who is Jesus and why does he matter for my life? And finally, God, for those of us who have that, who have experienced that hope, help us to have open eyes to consider what it looks like for us to share that hope with others. Help us to... Take the opportunities on the faith that you give us and entrust you with the results. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we jump into worship now to finish the service out, we're going to start with a song called Evidence. And this is awesome because this is how it often works. Like, Sean will be like, hey, well, let's end this song. i be like, that's the perfect fit for at the end of the service or something. And this one is because here's the thing. When you talk about your faith with other people, the evidence isn't some big, massive discussion, whatever, the evidence is your life and what God has done. And that's just your story, so always feel free to share that. With that, stand up. Let's let's sing together.